1: Greetings to everyone around the world, and a warm welcome to another edition of Veritas, Alternative Media for Discerning Minds. I'm your host, Mel Fabregas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time, make yourself at home. I want to thank all our members for your loyalty and support. Without you, this show would not have been possible. Tonight, I have a treat for all of you, especially those of you who watched the Zeitgeist movies. For quite a long time, many of you have been recommending a show about the Venus Project. Well, the wait is over. Tonight's special guests are Jacques Fresco and Roxanne Meadows. I know that if you listen to this show, it's because you are, more than likely, open-minded. If there is a show where you need to be open-minded and think outside the box, it's tonight's show. We'll experience the possibilities of new realities, new paradigms, a new world based on the multi-decade research and vision of tonight's guests. Right from the beginning, I must warn you that many people confuse the motivation. It is not communism, and it is not capitalism. They hate both. Both systems are doomed, and their proposed system, at the least, should be considered as a possible solution to today's paradigms. Jack Fresco and Roxanne Meadows will be with us shortly. To listen to the entire interview and all our interviews, become a member. You'll receive instant access to all of our material. And remember, Veritas survives on your voluntary subscriptions only. So if you've been listening to the first segment of the show for some time, don't you think it's time to listen to the entire show and support our work? I hope you do. And remember, no sponsorships means no censorship. Just visit our website, VeritasShow.com, click on the subscribe link, and take Veritas with you. And you can now download the latest show via the iTunes link. That simple. And if you're new to the show and are overwhelmed by the number of episodes, then purchase the 8GB metal case USB drive with Season 1 or 2. They both come with a lot of bonus material that you won't get anywhere else. So just go to the Veritas store for more information. And don't forget, you can buy MMS right from us. It's better to have it and not need it, than need it and not have it. And also, you can buy health supplements at prices lower than anywhere else you're used to buying. Go to our Veritas store and compare. The only thing you can lose is the high prices you pay everywhere else. And yes, I'm back from the 2011 International UFO Congress held in Scottsdale, Arizona. I have to tell you, I was very impressed, not only with the speakers, but because the entire conference was seamless. Remember, for years, this conference was held in Laughlin, Nevada, by another group. Now it's in the hands of Open Minds Productions. They did an excellent job, and I want to thank Maureen Ellsbury, the marketing director for Open Minds, and co-organizer of this event. She did an excellent job and helped Veritas be there. But let me share with you some of the highlights. First and foremost, you have no idea how happy I am to have seen so many Veritas listeners there. Jocelyn, Mark, Stacy, John, Leonore, Chris, Kara, Betty, and so many others. Now, about the interviews, unfortunately, the press room was occupied all the time, so I had to do a lot of impromptu short interviews with many, including Nick Pope, Grant Cameron, Bob Dean, Richard Dolan, Jim Mars, Paul Hallier, Paula Harris, Melinda Leslie, Terry and his son from Norway, the winners of the People's Choice Award for the film The Day Before Disclosure, Yvonne Smith, Stan Romanek, Don Schmidt, Dr. Angela Thompson-Smith, Dr. Roger Lear, Jim Peniston, and a few others. Now, I have two interviews that will become a full show each. First, I finally connected with Dr. Carol Rawson, who was kind enough to give me an exclusive two-hour interview on video. For those of you who may not know who she is, she was the spokesperson for Dr. Werner Von Braun, and there's a lot of information that she's going to be telling us. This exclusive two-hour interview was graciously given to Veritas by Dr. Rawson and it will be available on audio and video very soon I also met Bill Ryan from Project Avalon for the first time and also met Carrie Cassidy once again I met her last year but when we met this time we planned to connect there to shoot a quick update during the last day of the conference Sunday we met at noon and what was going to be a quick interview between Bill Kerry, and I turned into a two-hour video interview In the first hour, they laid out all seven incidents in detail that led to the breakup of Project Camelot at the end of 2009. A narrative which started as far back as their encounter with Illuminati whistleblower Leo Zagami in February of 2008. That complex drama is a story that had not yet been told all in one place. So stay tuned, it will be a full show coming very soon and last but not least let me just say that I was so happy to see so many young people this time for some reason it is hard to find young people at on and, and related meetings and at the UFO Congress but this year it was different I went table to table to chat with all of them and many said they didn't expect anyone to talk to them well let me tell you something you are our future. And I want to be there side by side with all of you as we continue opening doors. To those of you who are fans of Veritas, a big thank you. You know who you are, and I want you to know that your presence there and all your kind remarks mean a lot to me. And my friend Kara, thanks for introducing me to Mary. Mary opened some doors I didn't know existed. Kara also introduced me to Dr. Angela Thompson Smith, someone with such an extensive resume. As a respected remote viewer, she's friends with Ingo Swan and was John Lear's remote viewing instructor. Dr. Thompson Smith will be with us in a few weeks. And so will Richard Dolan, Don Schmidt, Linda Moulton Howe, and more. I also bumped into Dr. Claude Swanson. We started talking, and he said that he lived in Colorado for years. And he befriended Stan Romanek. Dr. Swanson analyzed some of the mathematical equations that Stan wrote without knowing what he was doing. And Dr. Swanson validated them. Klotz says that Stan Romanek's case is the real deal. I later did a quick interview with Stan and decided that there is enough new information for a new show. So expect another interview with Stan Romanek. His case one of the most documented and controversial of modern times. I even chatted with Lisa, Stan's wife. And I asked her to be part of the show, too, since she basically is the foundation of what keeps Stan sane. She even told me that Stan has about 14 children now. And you know what I mean when I say children. Stan, it's a good thing that these aliens don't make you pay child support. Lisa, you're a good sport and I look forward to having you and Stan on very soon. Okay, enough about the UFO Congress for now. Just go to the Veritas TV link to start watching some of these interviews. I'll also be including the audio, so you can watch them or you can also download the audio. All of this in the next few days, so check periodically. And speaking of guests, take a look at our upcoming guest roster. If that doesn't compel you to join as a member, nothing else will. And if you need to get in touch with me, just go to our website and click on the contact button and join me on Facebook. And now, get ready to explore a vision that can cause a global paradigm shift. Today, much of the technology needed to bring about a global resource-based economy exists. If we choose to conform to the limitations of our present monetary-based economy, then it is likely that we will continue to live with its inevitable results, war, poverty, hunger, deprivation, crime, ignorance, stress, fear, and inequity. On the other hand, if we embrace the concept of a global resource-based economy, learn more about it, and share our understanding with our friends, this will help humanity evolve out of its present state for this and an in-depth look into the Venus Project as featured in the Zeitgeist movies Jacques Fresco and Roxanne Meadows are coming up next this is Mel Fabrigus, and you're listening to Veritas don't go anywhere Agnew and you're listening to Veritas the Venus Project was started in the mid 1970s by social engineer industrial designer futurist and inventor Jacques Fresco and his partner Roxanne Meadows the Venus Project is an organization that proposes a feasible plan of action for social change one that works toward a peaceful and sustainable global civilization It outlines an alternative to strive toward where human rights are not only paper proclamations, but also a way of life. The Venus Project presents a vision, not of what the future will be, but what it can be if we apply what we already know in order to achieve a sustainable new world civilization. It calls for a straightforward redesign of our culture, in which the age-old problems of war, poverty, hunger, debt, and unnecessary human sufferings are viewed not only as avoidable, but as totally unacceptable. Anything less would result in a continuation of the same catalog of problems found in today's world. The Venus Project has been highlighted in the film Zeitgeist Addendum and the third sequel, Zeitgeist Moving Forward. They have attracted millions of people worldwide. For more information, visit their website at thevenusproject.com. And directly from Venus, Florida, That's the name of the project. I would like to introduce for the first time on Veritas, Jacques Fresco and Roxanne Meadows. Hello, Mr. Fresco and Ms. Meadows. Welcome to Veritas. How are you?
0: Good. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to be on your show.
1: It's my pleasure. May I call you Jacques and Roxanne? Yes. Certainly. Thank you. Well, I can't tell you how many people have been asking me to interview you both for more than a year. A lot of our listeners belong to the Zeitgeist movement, so this will be a treat for them. And for those who are not aware of the Venus Project, I'm sure they'll enjoy listening to this proposed paradigm shift. First of all, let's start with Jacques. Jacques, can you give us some background of yourself, and where did the vision to create a new system come to you?
2: Where did the vision to create a new system come to you? Uh, During the Depression, 1929, the crash, when 15 million people were out of work, sleeping in every empty lot. That was the time that I began to look in store windows, and the stores had everything. The factories existed, but they were shut down. It was called a recession. But nobody talked about the cause of the recession, what made it happen. They thought there were just boom times and times that were bad. Of course, politicians never understood anything, An economist had contradictory views. It was at that time that there were many people in empty lots up on soapboxes talking about Mankind United, socialism, capitalism, fascism, everything. Back to Jesus. There was all kinds of groups forming. And at universities, the students were sitting outside the university Discussing socialism, communism, all kinds of ideas. Something you don't see today at all. Because all that has been wiped out. The news is managed, so what you watch on the news is not necessarily true. It's, it's all systems to sustain the existing system. So you don't have any real information on the news.
1: Let me just say, as a matter of disclosure, that my family escaped communism. But there's a big difference between what you're trying to accomplish, because some people may confuse the Venus Project as being an advocate for communism.
0: We have heard that, but it's not at all true. Right? Communism uses money. They have politicians. They have banks. They have military. They have... um, stratification social stratification so and then they have police and they're for the labor class so we are for the labor class in the way that we want to eliminate boring and mundane jobs as quickly as possible through automation we want to use high technology with a social design to improve people's lives we want to update our social design with our technology, the best of technology.
1: And this brings to mind, Roxanne, that we live one-third of our lives sleeping. Another one-third of our lives, we spend it working. So we only have less than one-third to enjoy life. Will that change with your vision?
0: Totally. The We would use, as I mentioned, our technology to Eliminate boring and mundane jobs. So when a new, when today, when there's a new machine that comes in, it eliminates people's jobs, but that doesn't give them a higher standard of living. So when a new machine comes in within what we call a resource-based economy, people would have more leisure time and have more access to goods and services. It would do just the opposite because we're not within a monetary system. It's the monetary system that makes people afraid of machines coming in and displacing them
1: and by the way how did the two of you converge
0: well jacques was always lecturing and um giving lectures even in his homes in his home where he have lectures every about three three nights a week and i had I was very lucky to somebody approached me and introduced me to Jacques lectures and on tape. And I thought they were the most interesting thing I'd ever heard because the, the activists today talk about what's wrong with society, but they don't pose a workable alternative. That's, what's very different from every other uh, type of organization. They don't offer anything. They just say what's wrong, or they say they want to bring back democracy. We never had democracy, you have an illusion of democracy where you might go vote once in a while, but you're really voting for the same people, the backup, the people who are the establishment, who yes. give them the money to get in. So you're really, you have no say, really. When when did you ever vote for anything? Did you vote for new bridge designs or did you vote for the Iraq war or the Afghanistan war, or do you vote for any type of programs that take you into outer space? No, you really have no participation, only going to a job and being subservient to your boss. You're really under the, under a dictate, dictatorship when you go to work. And so you're really not free at all. You're about as free as your purchasing power in this culture.
1: Absolutely. And let me just say something, Jacques, first of all, let me compliment you in addition for having the vision of of the Venus Project, but at the age of 94, most people are dead by now. If they are lucky to be alive, they would have been retired for decades. That's not the case with you. You are alive and well, and retirement doesn't seem to be part of your vernacular. How do you do it?
2: Well, first of all, I feel that most people are dead. Because the word alive means to keep up with new ideas, to look forward to a better life and how to attain it. When I say, people ask me sometimes, do you believe there's life after death? My answer is, there's no life during life for most people. Hmm. They go through the same routine their grandfathers went through. And the language we use was designed hundreds of years ago, which makes it difficult to talk to one another. Our language, remember this, is subject to interpretation. The same with the books, the same with the Bible, the same with social ideas. When you talk of social ideas, the only thing normal people have on, on uh, an operating society is communism or socialism. They don't know there's other systems, hundreds of other systems proposed, but they don't have the background they're into accepting the culture they live in. If you couldn't do that, you couldn't get people who enlisted in the army. If you didn't push patriotism, you couldn't control people. If you educated people in international affairs, you couldn't get anybody to support anything. There'd be so much individuality.
1: And I've heard you say that the mainstream media... And by the way, I, I totally agree with you that when we go to the illusionary voting booth, we're just voting for one puppet on the right or one puppet on the left. We need to get rid of the puppeteers, the controllers. But I heard you say that the mainstream media has shown interest in your work. How has the media reacted to your, to your vision?
2: Uh, we've never really been invited to address the media. We apparently are not well known. Uh, yet, although millions of people throughout the world know about the Venus Project, and thousands are signing up every day to become part of the Zeitgeist movement. Uh, So there are lots of people that know about it, but the media in America has has shut the doors on the Venus Project, because they liken it to something they know of, like socialism or communism. They can't They've never questioned it. They know nothing about it, and they project their own values into it.
1: Well, let's be let's be clear on this. I and correct me if I'm wrong, but I see this as a threat to the established uh, to the establishment. If you have uh, a world in which uh, there's enough resources for everybody, uh, just take the oil companies. If you bring uh, free energy, they're gone. If you, free, if you free the world of disease, pharmaceutical companies will be gone. Doctors will be gone. So isn't this a threat to the establishment?
2: Of course. Every new idea is a threat to the establishment. Freedom of the slaves made it difficult for the South to compete. So you see, when you had child labor in factories, you paid them very little, and you can maintain the competitive edge. All that people think about is the competitive edge and profit in this system. And that's not the kind of thinking that will give us sustainability. It will crash due to its own insufficiencies.
0: Little do they know, though, that life in a resource-based economy would give them a higher standard of living, less stress, more cooperation with with society, and give them a higher education. They understand themselves and the world around them much better than they do today. They'd have a much higher standard of living, even mentally, within a resource-based economy.
1: How would the, I'm just thinking of uh, the different types of uh, classes we have around the world. We have a a class system in the United States. We have the, the caste system, for example, in India. How would this change worldwide?
2: Well, first, we would present the concept of the Venus Project, to different nations. And then ask them to join with us, remove the artificial boundaries. The more nations that join, the higher the production for people. The more better educated people are, the richer the world. If you agree with those concepts, if we depend on money to go to a university, this is not the answer. We have to open universities to everyone. Increase the amount of engineering and science students. When I say science students, I mean people who understand the world and its physical equipment. In other words, without science and technology, we have no methods of evaluation. In other words, let me put it your way. First, you have to do a survey of the Earth to see what kind of resources we have. Transportation, arable land, water, And after your survey, you base your social design on the carrying capacity of the earth and the environment. Do you understand that? Not the opinions of politicians. All decisions are made on the basis of physical relationships, not, not some arbitrary opinions. I want to say this carefully. All politicians are totally incapable of designing or advocating a better system. But I don't want you to take my word for it. I want you to go to a political meeting and ask politicians, how will you prevent automobile accidents? I don't know. How will you improve rockets so that they work more efficiently? They don't know. How can you grow more food for people? They don't know. They don't know anything related to better living. They know nothing, is what I'm trying to tell you. They don't even know how to improve the electrical grid lines. These are all technical problems. A hundred years ago, politics was great. There was no other system. But today, everything that you have, the electric light, the automobile, the airplane, everything is technical. So what we need is technical advisors, not dictators. In other words, it's not a nation or national system uh, with technical elites in charge. This is not so. All that the technical people do is tell us how to make automobiles, how to make transportation systems, how to figure out transmission lines. In other words, all they do is a technical job. Today, when you want a bridge built, you bring in engineering, bridge engineers. You don't ask the butcher, the baker. So it is not a participatory democracy. You've never had that. You always have specialists. When you want to put a man on the moon... You get rocket experts together, people that study space science, but they don't dictate policy at all. They just work on rockets. When you want to build a bridge, you pull in engineers. They don't dictate national policy. They just build a bridge. So the technicians do not control society.
0: What this is, is using science, not scientists, but the methods of science, because scientists are just as indoctrinated as anybody else in this system. Yes. Patriotism—they have allegiance to countries, they have vested interests, and they're just specialists within certain areas, maybe um, lighting or or agriculture. But they're not multidisciplinarians, so they can be used by government today to make bombs and weapons and. And make things that wear out and break down, they wouldn't do that in the future in the same future, so we use the methods of science applied to the social system for the betterment of everyone this this means using what works there's no vested interest within the monetary system, so there's no there's no there's no need to um, do any type of to hold things back. We would want the very best types of transportation. We wouldn't want things to wear out and break down because then society has to maintain it. So it's really a burden on society when there's no money involved. So you get rid of the conditions that cause the problems. And they don't pinpoint that today. They blame people. People are good or bad, or they, they, um, they didn't make the right decisions but they don't blame the monetary system that enables corporations to pollute, like Monsanto. They say, why don't you go after corporations like Monsanto? But instead of just going after these corporations, we go after the entire social design that enables Monsanto's to exist. They wouldn't within a resource-based economy when money is out of the picture.
1: They're just a symptom of the problem. But also, I I think stupidity and repetition are the two words being used all the time to stifle innovation. That's why we seem to be in a world of planned obsolescence. And when I say this, I mean your cars can last five, seven, eight years. Uh, People, uh, they have to be sick in order for the system to, to, to operate. Do you know what I mean?
2: Yes, I do. I think that the system is obsolete. It was obsolete years ago. We could have built a fine world in 1927 with what we knew then. The whole system is basically corrupt. As long as people work for money, they're bound to be materialistic and inhumane to one another. They don't concern themselves with people. I can prove that to you. We would not outsource jobs if we cared about Americans. Industry doesn't care about anything except the bottom line called profit. When new machines come in, they don't shorten the workday and pay people twice as much. They downsize. They get rid of people. That means they don't care. That's what I mean. And when you put a man in the army who puts his life up for the country, that's a supreme sacrifice. You should conscript all the war industries as well as people, so that no one makes a buck out of war. If you did that, you wouldn't have war. War is big business, it always has been big business, and they don't give a damn about people, because they make killing machines out of these young kids. What we would do is send the kids back to school to to study how to bridge the difference between nations, not to kill one another. Do you understand what I'm saying?
1: I certainly do, and he just reminded me when I was in college many years ago, Jacques, that I told one of my accounting professors that I could not understand how the most valuable asset a company has is not registered in a financial statement, and I mean people. People are the most valuable aspect of any company, and yet they seem to be a disposable item. What's your take on that?
0: Because yes, they're replaceable today. You yes. Know, they give their machines the best oil, no dust. Um, they they replace parts before they break down. But they let people eat hamburgers and frankfurters and don't give them medical care. They're just disposable. They don't care about that. When the bottom line is profit, you can't afford to care.
1: Absolutely. And I know you have a database of designers who are ready to help you start, quote-unquote, building a city. Has that, quote-unquote, city been identified? And how are governments reacting to your proposed vision?
2: Um, Government is really comprised of uneducated people. Remember that government don't know anything technical. They're merely elected on the basis of their appearance and uh, their jargon, the verbal behavior. But they don't know anything, so they can't make any appropriate decisions. Government that, that knows nothing about efficiency and the management of production cannot make social decisions. They believe people, some are lazy, some are hardworking, some are creative, some are not, all that's bullshit. But it depends on the environment you're raised in. If you were raised in Australia, you'd say, How are you, mate? And if you're raised in Germany, you'd speak with a German accent when you came to this country. So we reflect our culture. If you're brought up in the Deep South, you might become a member of the Ku Klux Klan. Because the value system is restricted in that area. And the people with a low self-sufficiency tend to join racist organizations because it gives them one upmanship. They are not educated people, believe me. The people of the world today are not educated. They're trained to be cogs in the social wheel. They tell people that they're great inventors, they're people that are great thinkers, all that's artificial. They even tell people that the invention of the wheel was the beginning of the technical age. Nobody ever invented the wheel. One log fell over another, and when you pull the upper log, the bottom one rolled. Do you understand what I'm saying?
1: I, I, of course I do, and you mentioned the Ku Klux Klan, for example. A, a member of the audience asked that uh, he heard you in a past interview stating that you joined and successfully dissolved the Ku Klux, Klan, Ku Klux Klan in Miami. Can you please explain with specific details on how you did this?
2: Well, first of all, I I used to buy surface lenses and optical devices from a guy that owned a surplus store. He was head of the clan, hmm. So you always work on that guy. He said to me, Jock, what do you do with all the lenses you buy? I said, well, I make optical devices. He said, can I see them? And I invited him to my lab. When I invited him to my lab, he was so impressed. He says, will you come on down to the clan and talk to our boss about what you're thinking about? I said, Lou, they wouldn't listen to me. He says, I'll get him to listen to you. I'm head of the Klan movement there. So that's what you have to do first. When he said to me, John, what do you think of the Ku Klux Klan? I said, it's a great idea, but it doesn't go far enough. That gets his ear. If you attack, you lose him. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yes, yes. So we have to learn procedural systems for changing people. You always work with a leader, never the group. And if you work with a leader and get them interested, then the leader will tell you things like, well, I can't do nothing with my kids. They never listen to me. You show them how you get kids to listen to you. In other words, I give them lessons in behavioral sciences. How reinforcing certain types of behavior strengthens things in kids. If you ball them out and call them dummies, the trouble with you is you can't think, you don't understand, that does nothing for kids. When a teacher in school says, that's wrong, those words don't tell you anything. Think about it. That's wrong. It doesn't tell you a damn thing. When the teacher says, that's not what I told you, that doesn't tell you anything. So you have to inform people into the methodology for solving problems. So they don't need psychiatrists, and they don't need psychologists. A psychologist that would adjust you to this system has to be a pinhead. Do you understand what I'm saying? I do, I do. And how
1: did you successfully dissolve it?
2: Well, what I did, I asked Lou, "How how do you know so much about people? He said, well, that comes naturally to me. I can look at a person and tell you a lot about them. I said, would you mind if I check that out? He said, no. So I brought a machine down to one of the meetings of the Klan, and I projected a character up on the film, on the, on the wall, on the screen. And he's telling me all about the guy. He said, he looks like a war veteran, a good American, a Christian. He, he's projecting his own values at the image. Mm-hmm. And after the image is run for a little while... The bottom of the picture is removed as it's wanted by the FBI for subversive action against America. Hmm. And the Klan's people were laughing at Lou for the first time. So I said to them, you guys shut up. So he made a mistake this time. But maybe on the, on the average, he might be well above the average person. I just got them to listen, and I ran a second test. And that was a record of a man speaking about aviation with a heavy English accent. So I said, Lou, what do you picture there? He says, I see a skinny Englishman with thick eyeglasses and a bald head. And then as he goes on projecting his own values into this English-speaking engineer, the image comes on later, and it's a black man raised in England. Mm, he no. says, "Goddamn nigger, talk like an Englishman. How come? I said, because he was raised in England, not the U.S. And if he was raised in Germany, he'd speak like a German. You understand?
1: Yes, prejudice and ignorance. That's
2: what it yes. is. So I have to inform them, not attack them. You have to inform them through motion pictures and experiments. Don't embarrass them in the presence of other people. So what I do is whenever a person says to me, what do you think of this idea? They always say it's a great idea. It doesn't go far enough. That gets, what do you mean? They listen to you. But if you attack, you lose them. Do you understand?
1: Yes, and it's all ego. You, you, you see. The, in this case, the end or the means justified the end. You joined. You listened to the to the main person. They allowed you in, and you were able to to make a difference by 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 presenting your views in such a, a clever way.
2: That was also the White Citizens Council. They hate foreigners, so I joined that group and dissolved it. They don't <laughs> dissolve it with reason or logic because they don't know what the hell that means. So you use motion pictures and you show them physical evidence, the same thing that gave you your viewpoint above others. It isn't that you're smarter, you've been exposed to more alternatives than the average person. So now let me tell you about changing other people. I did a survey in New York and I asked a lot of people what the most backward people were in the area. And they said, we don't know what the most backward people were, but there's an Arab group that believes that the earth is flat. Uh. So I said, I better try to change them. If I can't change them, I can't change the world. So I got to know the chief, the guy in charge of that Arab group. And he said to me on the phone, he says you are Arab? I said, yes, I'm not an Arab. He said, where your father he born? I said, Lebanon. He said, come and saw me. He means come and see me. So I came to see him. And he said... You believe the world he round? I said, yes. He went, that means it can't be where he comes from. Mm-hmm. So he held his hands up, symbolizing the round earth. And he said, if the world round, all the water, he fall off the world. All the people, they fall off the world. You understand? That's his yes. logic. So I took a balloon and I rubbed it with fur And I put cornflakes in his hand and just told him to hold his hand away from the balloon. As I charged it with static electricity, all the cornflakes jumped up to the balloon. Mm -hmm. The jaw hit the pavement. And he said, world, he magnet? I said, yes. Ah. And he explained that to the other Arabs. It took an hour and a half to change their way of thinking. But don't argue with them. Don't contradict their views, just show them things that they are not familiar with.
1: Show them the evidence, right?
2: Yes, just like you do when you study science. When a man says, believe me, this is the strongest metal in the world, we say, what's its compression strength? What's its tensile strength? Remember, the language of science is not subject to interpretation. But when you open the Bible, people say, I think Jesus meant this. And another person says, no, he meant that. And the third person says you're both wrong. That's why you have the Lutheran, the Seventh-day Adventist, the Catholic, because it's subject to interpretation. All our language is subject to interpretation. You're not talking to people. You're talking at them. You can talk with them if you understand how they learn, the learning process. And you have to introduce methods that they can understand. Don't speak of superior problems like particle behavior or atomic force, they don't know what the hell you're talking about. Symbolize it, make it simple. Really show them that plants cannot grow. They tell you in school that plants grow. They cannot grow unless there's sunlight, soil, moisture. Of themselves, they can't grow. The same with people. With insufficient exposure, they cannot conclude a a, a sensible conclusion for prevention of war or anything if they don't know the fundamental processes of nature. We don't want to conquer nature. We want to learn about nature and live in accordance with the natural law. Not man-made laws. Man-made laws are based on nothing. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't cheat. What do you think industry does? They lie continuously. They have the best products for getting rid of headaches. Every industry has got something to say. They got something to say about their automobile, about their airplanes, about everything else. It's all propaganda. And there's a reason for the small print is to make it difficult for you to want to read all that. So I would say that most industries are deceptive.
1: Many years ago, I learned a, a lesson that you don't treat people the way you want to be treated. You treat people the way they want to be treated. And in order to do that, you must learn from them. But, Jacques, some people say you are a utopian can you clarify this for them for people who, who don't know
2: i'm sure i can if you listen carefully utopia means an ideal city one that works perfectly well there's no such thing it's just like saying here's the best computer we can only design a laptop with what we know today Next year, it'll be lighter, smaller, and do more things, just like your cameras today. They take pictures, record voices, give you information. You cannot design the ideal house, the ideal society. That's the utopian concept. The utopian concept is fallacious because because there's no such thing as a perfect society or the perfect airplane. They always change every year or every two years. There are no final frontiers, no ultimate horizons, no best human beings. It's a constant system of social evolution. Do you understand that? Yes, I do. That's why there's no utopias. It assumes that here you have the best houses, the best system, the best education, no such thing. Education is always changing. Utopian would be static,
0: something that you've reached and you don't go beyond that. Really, the word means nowhere. It's a fictitious thing that people say in order to degrade the system. It has no meaning whatsoever.
2: You have to be ruthlessly honest.
1: And speaking of education, Roxanne, why is it that our educational system does not teach critical thinking? Those of us who consider ourselves free thinkers are that way because some faster than others have been able to break the shackles. Also, they want us to focus on A A or B, and being a multidisciplinarian is frowned upon. Oh, you're a jack of all trades. What's your take on this?
0: Well, if they taught you critical thinking, they couldn't control you. You wouldn't go to work for somebody and slave away for 40 hours a week for minimum wage. They they couldn't get you to do menial jobs. It's it's a control device, just like religion. It's almost like a gun to your head. So their advantage to keeping you dummied down, to be a cog on the wheel and go get a job, you have to remember, too, that everything that you learn in the system, all your values, all your behavior, your bigotry, your prejudice, is superimposed upon you from not from the ground up. It doesn't come from people. It it comes from the elite class that run the show, that make the laws, that you get your values through newspapers and magazines, your heroes, your, your TV, your movies, your entertainment, and your role models. And they The values they superimpose on you is to perpetuate this system, keep things as they are, not to change things. So if you, if you had the ability to think your way out of the problems, you would be called an agitator if you came up with other ideas and you, you wouldn't go along with what's going on. So they, they give you a certain amount of education and even your universities are on the dole through through people who through industries to to keep things as they are, you can't learn new ideas. Jacques couldn't get in universities a lot of a lot of times not not because he rocks the boat because he sinks it
1: <laughs> I agree, and do you have a a proposed educational system within the vision of the Venus Project?
2: Yes, we do. Children are brought up to understand how nature works. They're they're taken in the forest, they're shown how trees depend on nutrients, and they depend on carbon dioxide, and how they give out oxygen, so children understand what nature means. Uh, But not a projected understanding. For example, sometimes I meet a person and they tell me that they're nature lovers. So I say, what do you mean by nature lovers? Well, I love nature. I love to walk in the forest. But they don't understand that earthquakes are natural. Disease is natural. Hurricanes are natural. tsunamis are natural. So not everybody is a nature lover. We like certain things about nature. You understand? You couldn't be a nature lover and understand what I'm talking about. So people are not educated in this society. They become an art engineer, a mechanical engineer, electrical engineer, a chemist, but they don't know anything about behavior or social evolution. In the future, children will be taken through factories so they know where things come from, how they're made. They'll only be given information about the world we live in. No fictitious stuff. Fictitious stuff will be under the heading of fiction, science fiction, or fictitious ideas. Whenever you read about them, you'll know that this is what people think of, but they haven't been verified. And science will be taught as a verifying mechanism in order to verify certain type of information, this is what you have to do. In other words, when I worked for the aircraft companies years ago, they would figure out the strength of an airplane wing. Then after they did that, they would pile sandbags on the wing and break it to see if their calculations were right. I love that system. It has no opinion in it, no bias. It's merely checking things out. That's all the Venus Project is about. It's something like the public library, where you can access books. Only next door to the public library is a camera center, where anyone in the community can access a camera. Next door to that, you have musical instruments. So when people have access To the necessities of life, they do not steal, they do not rob. It's only when they're deprived of things that you get aberrant behavior. You have to remember, too, that the
0: education in each country, in each nation, is to perpetuate that system that they live under. So they teach you how to be lawyers and bankers and salespeople and um advertising agents and insurance people, salespeople. So it perpetuates the monetary system. All those jobs, bankers, would be be parasitic in a system that does not use money. Everybody would be trained to be problem solvers because every kid that shoots up drugs and hangs out in malls and street corners that has nothing to do and no education the society pays for it in the end. You pay for it in the end. They send them to jail. And who do you think pays for the jail? You know, if they if they stole things, it, it's easier. It's cheaper. Like the example Jacques usually uses, if they stole a watch, they have three times and you're out in this country. And, if you know, they put you in jail for years and say you you stole a watch or many watches, And they put you in jail for years if you accumulate, if you add up all the money that it takes to house them, feed them, clothe them, and um, they don't really educate them. But to give them medical care, it's cheaper to give them the watch. And with our technology today, we can create abundance if we use it wisely if we don't abuse it. Today, we abuse our technology. We make bombs. We make weapons. One of our biggest industry, second to banking, is the armament industry. They to spread it out into every city and practically every state. So you don't want to vote against it. You'll lose jobs. It's so corrupt, this system. There really is nothing worth saving other than the technology.
1: And of course, the penal system in the United States is another business. And we have the highest uh, ratio of inmates per capita than any other country in the world. But I know the proposed vision is to do away with... uh, When I say the proposed vision, I mean the Venus Project, is to do away with uh, currency into a resource-based economy. But the reality is that today we live in a money paradigm. How then can you take the second step... I say second because I would presume the first step is the vision. But in order to implement the vision in today's paradigm, you would need money. Doesn't that sound somewhat contradictory?
2: Yes, it does sound contradictory. However, let me point this out. People do ask me, will the capitalists give up their possessions for a resource-based economy? No, they will not. You have to wait till people lose their jobs lose their home, lose confidence in their elected leaders. That is the time for social change. You will not get it through reason or logic. And that's happening all over
0: the world. The job right now is to educate people that there is another system that would benefit themselves and the environment, where everybody could have a high standard of living without toiling for it.
2: Just remember that. I've lived through the last depression and a friend of mine owned an aircraft factory and the government came in and said, we're taking your factory over. He said, why? Because you haven't paid taxes for three years on your equipment. He said, I have no orders for airplanes. Take the goddamn factory. In other words, people don't have to give up anything. If banks fail and you bail them out, you're taking public funds away from feeding the poor taking care of people to get their pensions, and you're giving it to banks, and you're giving it to the people. This is unfortunate that Obama gave the money to the banks and, and the institutions that created the problems in the first place. He has no idea what to do. Neither does any other politician have any idea of what to do to stop these problems. Only when they get themselves into the jams and the system dies will people look up and say, is there any other way? Right now, they don't give a damn until they lose their home, their job, and that they can't get another job, and they run out of pension funds or support from the government. Mm-hmm. Then they will demand social change. Now is the time. The system is collapsing all over the world, not just here in the United States. And they can't come up with solutions anymore. War in the old days used to bring a nation out of unemployment. People go back to work making weapons. Today we have more wars than ever, and it's not pulling us out. So it's not working anymore. And the system is dying. The Republicans, most of them are very stupid people. Just check it out by asking them questions about the physical world. They know little about it. They know where to invest, how to invest, and seek only the profit margin. So this is a a warped mind. From my point of view, you deal with mental illness, that's a mental illness seeking financial gain only, having no compassion for other people. This is all distortion. You can think, well, I guess that's the way the world is. That is not the way the world is. That's the way the world is kept by the in-group or the establishment. When I use the term established culture, I mean that those in control have put in the systems that keep them in control. What we want is an emergent culture, not an established culture. An emergent culture means it's always evolving, always changing, and keeping the public aware of what's new and what what is no longer relevant. Do you understand that?
1: Yes, and it's gonna take the people at a ground uh, uh, grassroots level, to really affect the change that we want, uh, we're seeing it in Egypt right now as we speak. Uh, Hosni Mubarak, the president, is is giving a speech and stepping down uh, because the people are clamoring for that change. Do you think that people around the world will have to rally to 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 request that? life as we know it changed to to perhaps adopt your vision or is this such an uphill battle that this could only happen if we get out of this planet and start elsewhere where we're going to ha- we're not going to have the 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 uh, uphill battles that we face on
2: this planet what we have to do is educate people when edison came up with the electric lamp or when tesla came up with the induction coil He had to tell people what it is, what it does. Mm -hmm. The gas companies don't tell you anything. When I was a kid, people used to light the street lamps. They were gas lights. And then the electric light came in, but you had to tell people what it was. They didn't all install electric lights right away in their homes. It took years. So unfortunately, which I'm so sorry to say, you have to work your butt off educating people. They are not educated today. Otherwise, scientists would not go to work for their country. They would not develop the atom bomb. They would not work on things like that. They would ask questions, what makes war? What makes nations aggressive? Once they find out that it's because they don't have access to the resources that they need, so they invade other countries. When the world begins to share the resources of the earth with one another, and all the artificial boundaries are removed between nations, and people learn to understand that all people need clean air, clean water, good healthy food, and a relevant education, and cooperatively sharing ideas, not winning, but sharing ideas with other people. That'll put an end to most of the social problems you have today. Until they understand that, they wouldn't know which way to go. If you, said, if you say, well, Africa or Egypt is undergoing change. No, they're not. They don't know what to install. Once they win and get rid of these corrupt politicians, they don't know any other system. They don't right. know what to design. So you have to educate people as to what can be done and how it can be done. you understand? Don't rely on people revolting. If you have a revolution, they still don't know what to do. Like Castro in Cuba. He didn't yes. know what to do after he, he put down... He got rid of capitalism and gangsters. And all the gambling houses were owned by Americans. Most of the hotels were owned by Americans. Castro didn't know what to do. In Russia, they didn't know how to do public housing. They didn't know how to prevent corruption. They didn't know how to do that. This is what we have to inform people in, how to do it. And that's where the Venus Project comes in. That's where the book called The Best That Money Can't Buy, on our website, thevenusproject.com, goes into how and what to do, not just criticize. It's wrong to criticize a country without offering a possible alternative; otherwise, you leave people in midair.
1: Indeed, and I use—I have a friend. Uh, perhaps you know the name, Professor John Searle. He created a free energy device many years ago. And when he was in England, he decided to try it at home. He removed all his appliances and connected all the electricity in his house to the machine. And it worked. The result was he was arrested because they were saying that he was stealing electricity. They did not believe that anybody could come up with that idea. What's your take on that?
2: Well, you got to remember that even the scientists in the old days used to write books on why man can't fly. Mm-hmm. If there were scientists, they'd say, I can't conceive of how to build a flying machine. I don't know enough about it. I don't know. But they have opinions about everything. So you don't really have a scientific community although they talk about it as though you had a scientific community, they would first check on the system that produces aberrant behavior. They'd ask questions, what makes war? What makes a nation aggressive? Why aren't people free thinkers? Because you can't control them if they're free thinkers. Do you understand that?
1: Also, yeah, in this show, we not only talk about uh, the topics, Jacques and, and uh, Roxanne, we also discuss the solutions. I'm always thinking of two words, take Action. Let's talk about the entire equation. What are the most important variables that can take your vision from concept to reality?
2: The understanding of how the world works. If people do not understand that, if they think there's such a thing as human nature, some people are good, some are lazy, some are not, all that's artificial. All people can be like Leonardo da Vinci. All people can be as creative as Tesla, If you know how to do it, only they don't know how to do it. They think some people are creative and some aren't. Some are artistic, some aren't. That's not true. Anybody can learn anything. You can be brought up to hate Filipinos, Jews, Swedes. It depends on the indoctrination you're given by your country. So your country tends to indoctrinate you to ideas that support the establishment. Do you understand that? That's why you don't get in the public library and in our schools contradictory books
1: don't we need and i've had this conversation with dr edgar mitchell the astronaut a few years ago that in order for us to accomplish something like this we need a one world i hate to call it government but a world that's united where nationalism and boundaries are are a thing of the past Does that make sense?
2: One world government that we need is the intelligent management of the Earth's resources. The only way that can be done, you've got to be very careful and pay attention to what I'm saying. The only way you can have a world without war, poverty, hunger is by using the methods of science in government, not opinions of senators or governors. What you need, if you can follow me now, A pilot used to look out of an airplane when I was a kid and he'd say, I'm about a mile high. Today, with Doppler radar, you get exactly 5,250 feet, three inches off the ground. No human can do that. So we want to move eventually humans out of government, not a machine takeover, but assign machines tasks that humans can't do. For example, about nine years ago, machines were able to handle 1,000 trillion bits of information per second. No group of humans can do that. So we need a computerized government that has its tentacles into agriculture, transportation, production, human illnesses, cancer, heart disease. So we have a, a video file, a file of everything. You can't do that with human beings. They can only handle seven objects at the same time today. Machines have long surpassed the human ability to do things. People say to me, can a machine be better than the designer? I know a little guy that designed a machine to pick up a freight train and empty it. He can't do that himself. No designer of mass production can move bottles as fast and fill them as fast as machine technology can. We don't want people to do boring, monotonous, dangerous jobs. We want to mechanize all boring and dangerous jobs and free people to go back to school to study whatever the hell they're interested in, not what somebody else tells them is good for them. We
0: want to organize science and technology and resources to serve people's needs. We don't do that today. Industry doesn't really care anything about you or they wouldn't outsource So we want to use the methods of science applied to the social system for the benefit of everybody. And all the Earth's resources would become the common heritage of all the Earth's people. Anything less will resort to war and violence and territorial disputes and bigotry and scarcity.
2: Do you understand that? It's a physical environment that shapes our values. If you don't understand that, and uh, look if people get married and they don't get along, some lawyer makes some money on that. If people love each other and like each other and they live together. That's what it's about. And if they don't get along, they move out. They don't have to pay a lawyer or get a divorce. And and also another you brought up with so many myths, I don't know where to start. One of the biggest myths that you brought up with is the word love. People don't love themselves all the time. They do stupid things. They make errors. you That's the history of invention. Errors. So no one ever does anything wrong, but they don't know anything. How are they going to decide how an airplane should be built? They can only put wings on themselves and jump off a building. If it doesn't work, his brother-in-law may write, make wings larger next time if the guy is injured. But there's no other way to learn. So they say people make mistakes. They don't make mistakes. They use whatever tool society gives them. And if they don't work, they have a nervous breakdown. When you bring up children to learn how to understand how the world works, how their values originate, what creativity is, you know, they talk of creativity, but they don't know what it is. Creativity is taking known elements and putting them together in unique ways. We don't have any understanding of that today in our schools. There's no indication of how we get to be the way we are. When somebody does things unique, we say he's a genius, or they're born, or they're a leader, or they have natural capacities better than other people. No such thing. If you're brought up in a home, say you're a girl, and your father beats your mother and beats you a great deal, you might grow up and say, boy, I'm never getting married. And where that person's coming from, that seems to be correct. Do you understand? You're influenced by environment. If you're brought up in France, you're going to speak with your hands. You're going to say la tour Eiffel instead of the Eiffel Tower. Even our language, every bit of it is learned. Your parents say glass, halite, table, dish. Continuously until the child repeats the same words. So we don't think or reason, we're programmed to behave a certain way. That's why the Germans were loyal uh, to their system, because they're brought up to be loyal to that system. The Swedes were loyal to cooperation. Now I'm told the Swedes are moving to the right. So I'm just telling you that when you control the media, you control people. And when you live under
0: a system that uses money and keeps things scarce and few nations control most of the Earth's resources and the rest have practically nothing and competition and beating the other person gives you advantage in this system and everybody is out for themselves. You have to take care of yourself. You have to educate yourself. You have to give yourself you have to get money in order to get medical care then you're gonna get aberrant behavior. You're gonna get people in tremendous stress. And and if you don't educate people to be able to think their way out of things, they're gonna run perpetual loops of stress and deprivation. So you need to change the entire social design. That's what it means when we say change the environment, the entire social design, taking money out of the equation, using your science and technology to make, elevate people, make goods and services available. We can still do that when you have scarce resources. That's what scientists work on. We've never unleashed science and technology and given scientists the question, how do you make a better society with no booms and busts and clean air and clean water and food for everybody? How do you organize it? How do you make good transportation? How do you eliminate pollution They've never been given those questions. They're just given how to beat the other, uh, the other pe- person, how to make a, a better um, piece of machinery so one industry can beat the other industry.
2: You've got to understand that we are manipulated ever, ever since we're children. They always say, Well, you're a Lutheran, you're proud of it. You're a Catholic, you're proud of it. You're Filipino, you're proud of it. You're Irish, and you're proud of it. That separates people. Yes. All people need clean air, clean water, a health education. Department. They all need the same thing. Absolutely.
1: And uh, before we take our one and only intermission, I want to say that we live in a world where scarcity rules. If there's a scarcity of oil, well, price of oil goes up. Commodities, price of commodities go up. Same thing with gold. It seems that the higher the goal is people want to hoard it all the time. But in your vision, how would you address, I want to get your answer when we return from our intermission, how would you address greed within your system? It seems that people, perhaps their environment causes that greed. But once again, how do people get in touch with your work and learn more about the Venus Project?
0: Check out TheVenusProject.com, T-H-E, Venus Project. You need TheVenusProject.com. And we have a lot of books and videos on our website as well that we produce ourselves, so it does help support the project. And there's so much free information on there as well if you can't afford to get the books and videos. So check it out and check out Zygite's website, Zygitesmovement.com and Zygites Addendum and Zygites Moving Forward as well. The movies that Peter Joseph did.
1: Absolutely. And we have links on our website. We are so privileged to have uh, Roxanne Meadows and Jack Fresco here. We'll be right back with more Don't Go Anywhere. This is Mel Fambergas and you're listening to the Veritas Radio Show. Thank you very much for listening. We're going to talk more with our special guest in our members section. If you're not a member... Just head on over to our website, veritasshow.com, and click on the subscribe link to listen to the rest of the show. As a member, have you subscribed to the iTunes link? Let iTunes download all segments of each new show automatically. There's a link in the members section. Just click on it and let iTunes do the rest. We'll take a short intermission, listen to some music, and we'll be right back with more. Enjoy.
2: This is Professor John Searle, and you are listening to Veritas.